Amen. Thank you, Pablo and Bethany and Chris and Brent for reminding us of truths that are so precious. I invite you to pray as the kids are dismissed for their VBS. Father, uh, we sing these truths, but when the storms come, that's when what we say we believe is put to the test. And I pray that as we look into your word that you would speak to our hearts. You know what each of us needs this morning. I thank you that you care. I thank you that you see. I thank you that you know and that you understand. And Father, may we be as honest as the father who wanted his son healed who said, Lord, I believe, just help my unbelief. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law this morning and take them to heart and apply them as you want us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of us are aware that a lot of natural disasters in, in central Iowa, at least, the recent floods that we had a couple of weeks ago, and then the tornadoes that ripped through Bondurant and Marshalltown and Pella, kind of left a lot of people with an acute awareness of our vulnerability, acute awareness of our desire for safety when there are natural disasters. But I think it's true that more often than not, the, the source of our feeling threatened, the thing that causes us the most discontent and, and the, the greatest source of hostility oftentimes is the people that we know or that we don't know. People that we interact with. It could be an obnoxious boss. It could be a fellow classmate that's kind of critical or caustic. It could be an unruly neighbor whose dog never stops barking day or night, uh, or whose dog likes to deposit in our yard and uh, leave those deposits, or that they play their music really loud, or whatever it happens to be. It could be that this is a fellow believer who is an unforgiving person. It could be a child that is walking away from Christ and living in rebellion. It could be another person who has invaded our privacy and is an intruder in our home. I mean, a lot of ways that we can feel threatened and our safety can feel threatened and are uh, as a source of hostility towards us. It could be uh, that like brothers and sisters around the world in many places, the hostility is there because we name the name of Jesus, which is not usually the case in the United States, but we have brothers and sisters around the world who fear for their very lives because they're hunted down, because they claim to be followers and are followers of Jesus. And so in our threatened by that, safety, and we feel sometimes it's a life circumstance. I don't know about you, but uh, it can leave us exposed. It can leave us fearful. You get sick, or you get in an accident, or you have an illness that's 
hanging on and it's like I'm afraid I don't know what's going to happen I'm not sure it could be that you lost a loved one it could be that you're in an accident and you now have some disability that just kind of perpetuates itself because of that it could be a lot of different things but we're always 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 under the threat of the great deceiver whose works and and uh, and ways are out to get us and so we may not feel that threat but it's there all the time it's there and so it's not a matter of whether we're going to have storms in life it's not a matter of whether we're going to feel like we're threatened it's not a matter of whether we're going to feel like there's hostility towards us somewhere along the line it's coming it's just a matter of what do you do when that happens what do i do when that happens where do you run where do i run for shelter when there's a storm brewing and I'm aware of some of the storms that are in some of your lives. I'm aware of some of the ways in which you're feeling vulnerable. I'm aware of some of the ways in which you're feeling exposed or you're feeling fearful because of the circumstances around you. So where do we go when the storms prevail? Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where David shows us where he went and points us to the, the way to a good and gracious and loving and faithful Father as the source that we need to run to for our refuge in the time of storm. Now, Psalm 57 is David's experience, and he, he sought the Lord's refuge in, in, in this loving and good and gracious Father in his disappointment, in his despair, and in his fear. And the section that we're in in Psalm 57 is, uh, we started this thing out in Psalms. There are five different sections in the entire book of Psalms. This is in the second section. And in this particular section of the Psalms, beginning with verse 52 through chapter 52, I'm sorry, through chapter 59, is a period of time in which David was fleeing from Saul. And so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that might mean something to you. If you're not, that's okay. Just remember that David, who had been anointed as the king, was now fleeing from the person who was presently serving as the king, and Saul wanted to kill David. And so we come to Psalm 57. David is hiding out in the cave of Adullam, which, not by accident, the Hebrew word means refuge. Adullam. So here he is in the cave of refuge, but he's seeking refuge not ultimately in the cave, but in God, whom he exalts and magnifies throughout this whole thing. David was joined there, in, and you can read the story. I'll give you 1 Samuel chapter 22. David is joined in the cave... And the text in 1 Samuel says, By everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and discontented, and he became captor, captain over them. Now, this is like a Robin Hood thing, right? I mean, the, the discontented, the distressed, and the disgruntled came to David, and he became their king, the captain over the bunch. And he's in the cave, but ultimately he took refuge in the king. And so as we look at the text, we see that David took shelter in God and he rejoiced and he made first of all a request. He requested and he rejoiced in God 
and God's love and God's faithfulness to him in the face of very dark circumstances and in the face of hostile opposition as Saul was hunting him down. And so this morning, we're going to look at two parts of David's prayer, which this is a prayer of David. Now, each of the parts of the sections concludes with his praise to God. So verse 5 and verse 11, if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 57, which I should have instructed you to do by now, you'll see this. David's prayer challenges us. He challenges us to bring God glory by resting in and by rejoicing in and not just doing this, but doing this confidently in God's love and faithfulness in every situation when they're the bleakest and when our opposition is the greatest. He brings glory to God because he's resting in God's love and faithfulness in his character. I'm going to read the text. We'll unpack these two different sections. Psalm 57. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God, Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me, and they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David's prayer begins with a confident request for God's deliverance. And there are four parts that communicate his confidence. First, there is and should be in our prayers a plea for deliverance. He says, be gracious to me, be gracious to me. Twice, he says, repeated for emphasis, he needs God's graciousness. He is pleading, if you're reading the ESV or the NIV, he says, be merciful to me, be merciful to me. He wants God's mercy. To me, it communicates the seriousness and the personal nature of his plea. He's serious. God, be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. I need your mercy right now. He cries for God's mercy because he's acutely aware of his vulnerability. He's acutely aware of his frailty as a human being. It was just about a year ago at this time when my immediate family, my two sisters and our families were celebrating my parents' 60th wedding anniversary, and we were all gathered in the same place, in the same location, and our middle child, our daughter Janae, was stung by a wasp. Janae had never had this reaction before, but she went into anaphylactic shock, 
and we were 20 miles from the nearest hospital. She started breaking out in hives, and her, uh, her airways started to constrict, and her lips started to swell. Her entire body was under assault. And we were on our way to the emergency room. We got to the emergency room, and of course, you know, the emergency personnel are, are trying to be calm and be collected and all this stuff. And what's the problem? She's been stung by a wasp, and she's, you know, she's having a bad reaction. Well, let's see. She pulled up the back of her shirt, and they said, okay, get her in right now. In 30 seconds, they had her on an IV. Her blood pressure went down to about 60 over 40. And we said to our brother-in-law, who's a physician later, what was this? He said, this is anaphylactic shock. And she was in the second to the last stage of anaphylactic shock, the final stage being death. She had two epinephrine shots. And by God's grace, she was delivered. Let me tell you what, we were crying out to God, be gracious to us, oh God, be gracious to us because we were desperately in need of God. David says, be gracious to me, be gracious to me. Four introduces the reason. He says, for my soul takes refuge in you. My soul, which interestingly enough, we see this like three or four times in the text. If you look at verse 1, he says, uh, my soul. And then if you look at verse 4, he says, my soul. In verse 6, my soul. And then it's not there, but in verses 7 and 8, it's my heart or my, my entire being is in need. He says, the reason for his passionate plea is because he's taking refuge in God. He was hidden physically in the cave, but where was he going to for refuge? God. He wanted to find his God and find his safety in there because he says, in the shadow, in verse 1, and in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Here's the picture. Shadow of his wings. You know, it doesn't mean much to me. You know, I kind of like, whoa, uh, what is that? Well, last May, uh, we were, we saw there was an eagle's nest near where we, we lived up in northwest Iowa. And so we drove there, and we saw this eagle. And here is the eagle. You could see the eagle up, and there was two little eaglets. Uh, you couldn't quite see uh, how many, but you could see them just kind of uh, from a distance. And the, the mother eagle or the father, I don't know who, who was who. You know, I couldn't tell. Anyhow, they, they, they spread their wings, you know, to protect their young. Here's the picture of David. I will take shelter under the shadow of his wings where I will be protected and he will care for me. Until the storm passes or until destruction passes, which communicates to me that this threat was personal, but the threat was also temporal. We don't always live perpetually in a state of fear or in danger or hostility from our opposition, but we do experience it. And he says, during that time, I'm taking refuge in God. We sometimes feel the imminent threat. Like my friend in college who had gone on a mission trip to Africa. And he and some other people, and this guy, he was like about six foot four, uh, you know, uh, Anglo guy, and he's standing in front of the, uh, this tribe, a Zulu tribe, and they were doing their war dances. They had their war paint, and the Zulus made him look short. Okay. And they're chanting and chanting and chanting and running and chanting and chanting, and they're all getting 
hyped up, and then they walk up to him. He's standing there watching all this, and through the translator, he hears this, you are a dead man. Well, they're carrying their spears. He was in imminent danger, he thought, but basically what they were saying to him was, you're just standing there stiff as a board. You look like you're a dead guy. Come on, get with the program here. We feel the threat. In face of adversity and tragedy and hostility, where do we go for refuge? To our Father in heaven or to our fortunes in the bank? Is it to our God or to our goods? Is it to the Lord or is it to the satisfaction of our lusts? Where do we go? David says, I'm I'm going to God. In his distress, he gives us, I think, as a really profound perspective, we see the second revelation of his confidence, and it's a profession of confidence in God's faithfulness. In verses 2 and 3, he says, I will cry to God Most High. You know, we read the Psalms, and I, I said this, I think, when we were in Psalm 33. We're not real, like, vocal. I will cry to God most high. God, help me. We don't do that well, I don't think. It's It's not very proper. But if you're in need, who cares about proper? I will cry to God most high. This is a loud cry to God. And notice he says, to God most high first time this designation of God appears is in Genesis chapter 14 when Abraham had taken his 318 dudes and taken out four armies, opposing armies, and uh, he's met there by Melchizedek and says, you know, God Most High has delivered you. It's a, a name from God, Elohim Elyon, who is the Most High God. He is sovereign in His rule over everything that He has created. I'm going to kind of take shelter under His wings. You know, I'm going to kind of go to this guy. I'm not running to anybody else or anything else. He takes shelter in God Most High. And David emphasizes this aspect of God's character, His sovereign control, when He says in the text, for He will accomplish, He who accomplishes everything for me, all things for me. God accomplishes all things for me. And isn't it true that the God who fashioned Him and us in our mother's womb, Psalm 139, the God who knows the number of His days, our days, before there was ever one of them, is the same powerful, and He is the God who will fulfill the purpose for all of His children, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's the same sovereign and righteous and powerful God that that works in our lives as well. In verse 3, He says, He will send from heaven, this God most high, He will send, here's His confidence, He will send from heaven this sovereign and powerful and dependable God and He will rescue me. He reproaches Him who tramples me and God will send forth His loving kindness and His truth. 
David is declaring what Psalm 57, Psalm 58, Psalm 59, and Psalm 75 all uh, uh, declare of God, is that God will rescue, He will preserve the righteous, and He will punish the rebellious. This is the character of God, and we can count on that. And so he's claiming this truth about God, and he clings to the conviction that his loyal love, God's loyal love, and his faithfulness will actually be sent out. He'll experience it. And so be delivered, and God's people will be saved from their enemies. Now, immediately, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, and then you read 1 Samuel 23, you see that happened for David immediately after the cave of Adullam, because he conquered the Philistines and he was delivered from Saul. Saul didn't get him and he got the Philistines. But ultimately, I think he's, he's pointing to something greater. But today, we have the same confidence because we have the same God. The same God that David did. That God will deliver us sometimes from, but always through the storm. Sometimes from, but always through the storm. Uh, this past Wednesday, we had a prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, Brother Norb Metzler got up and shared how God, when he was in the hospital in his recent surgery and was in tremendous pain, the chaplain came. And the chaplain prayed. And through the prayers of the chaplain, Norb experienced for four hours complete relief of his pain. God sent his love and faithfulness and Norb experienced deliverance from his pain for four hours. But there's also a truth that God has sent his love and his faithfulness to Norb, and he has experienced God's love and faithfulness and his deliverance through much pain, which he testified to this morning in the first service. That's how God works. But he never leaves us. He never leaves us hanging. He's always there. And David spoke prophetically, not just immediately and ultimately, but he also spoke, I think, prophetically. Look at the text in verse 3. He says in verse 3, God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. To deliver David, but also to deliver us from the most daunting and the most deadly form of threat, our sin. And death. And when did God send His love and faithfulness to deliver us from our greatest enemy, Satan, who brings to us sin and death? He did so in the person of Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth, which the word faithfulness in the Hebrew uh, can also be translated truth full of grace and truth. Because God, I think, I think, David, the Lord's anointed, speaks of, who is the king, speaks of his king, the coming Messiah, who will ultimately deliver him and ultimately deliver all of us who believe in this Jesus, full of grace and truth, from our sin and from death. Jesus invites everyone to come to him for refuge. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
This Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the deliverer from our greatest threat and our most hostile enemy, Satan. So, if we're burdened and beaten, if we're lonely and lost, if we are pressed and maybe without purpose, if we are seeking for contentment but not there, and we know that there is a God-sized hole in our soul, the only place for refuge is in Christ, who alone will redeem us. Augustine was correct. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. If that's you this morning, I just say that the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross as the payment for your sin is the only place of refuge for whatever ails your soul. You must come to him, cling to him. Thirdly, that provides us confidence is the painful circumstances are uh, kind of laid out. David describes the circumstances in verse 4. He says, uh, my soul is among lions. There's you know, a lot of things that are going on here. But first of all, he, he's, uh, he, there's a potential loss of life. He says, my soul is among lions, which is just a simple way of saying, I think I'm toast. You know, I'm, I mean, lions have sharp teeth. They've got big claws, and they're, you know, it's a nasty place to be. I'm in the place of lions. And then he, he emphasizes the perilous company that he keeps. And the, uh, I'm not sure in the middle of verse 4 whether he's talking about the people he's sleeping with, you know, the discontented, uh, the, the, the motley crew that he's got, or the people outside or both. But what he's saying here is, I must lie down among those who breathe forth fire. Well, you know, you got a bunch of people that are in debt, a bunch of people that are discontent, a bunch of people that are running from somebody. There's a lot of hot tempers there. So it could be that. It could just be the people outside, Saul, who's breathing down his neck. It doesn't really matter. He's in despair. And their teeth are like spears and arrows, and they have a, a sword as a tongue. Their tongue is a sword. And they have prepared a net for my steps. He didn't know when the foot was going to drop. I mean, he didn't know if these guys that he's sleeping with are going to take him out or whether Saul's going to get him. He didn't know whether they'd be trapped, trampled, or terminated. That's kind of not a good place to be. And that's why he cried out, my soul, my soul. What kind of things rock your world? What things are rocking your world right now? Maybe a health issue. It may be family. You know, family, you got to love them, you got to hate them. I mean, it's just, they just, you know, what do you do? I mean, a bunch of knuckleheads, we, you know, we all have knuckleheads in our families, you know, some of us do. It's just, uh, and, and they create tension, and they can be critical, and they can be caustic, and they can be hurtful. It could be our own kids, for Pete's sake. It could be, you know, in-laws or outlaws, or it could be other people. It could be the nagging health issues. And I know I speak, I, I, could, I could put names behind these, you know, but that's not the point. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about realities in life. Here's David. He was living as a fugitive. Fear and his sense of frailty fueled his despair. 
all of us, if you're not there, that's great. Praise God. Just enjoy the ride, you know. But at some point, you will be. You'll be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Our shelter is in God. And David said, this is it. Whether it's an unpleasant or unwanted circumstance, we don't know. But he was driven to God. David took refuge in the Lord. I may have used this quote before, but I'm going to say it again because it just is so powerful, I think. Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, said this, All of human freedoms can be taken from a man except for the last of human freedoms, and that is our ability to choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances. Whatever circumstance we're in, nobody can take away how we perceive and what we think and in that circumstance, our attitude in any given set of circumstances. And this we see in David, you know, when our circumstances are darkest and the opposition is the greatest. The question is, will we seek God's glory by resting in His love and His faithfulness? When the circumstances are dark, when the opposition is great, will I resolve to give God glory because I rest in His love and His faithfulness to me? Was it David? That's what David did. And we see it in his prayer of defiant faith. I, I, I labeled it defiant faith. In other words, okay, things aren't going well, but I'm sticking with my guns and I'm holding on to God. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over all the earth. That's my prayer, David said. Even though I'm a mess, even though my life is a mess, even though I'm threatened, this is my prayer that you, my God, would be exalted because I'm claiming your love and your faithfulness in my life. It's a challenge to me. And when the storm clouds are brewing and sometimes the storm is on us, that I can claim and pray, God, be exalted. This is Paul in Philippians chapter 1 according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame in anything, but that God uh, may be, whether by life or by death, that God may be exalted in my body. That was his prayer. Wow. Second stanza of this is verses 6 through 11. And in part 2, the psalm reveals, and I don't have time to get into it, but the, the beauty of Hebrew poetry is that oftentimes there is this symmetry. And so now what we see, and we may not see it real clearly, but in the second half of the psalm, he revisits every one of the same topics that he did in the first half of the psalm in reverse order. And it concludes again with this call to praise, to bring emphasis. It's almost like he's, he's building the, the crescendo to boom, I want you to see my praise of God. And so that's why we've, we've labeled this our confident rejoicing in God's deliverance. There was this confident request in, for God to deliver, and now there is this confident rejoicing in God's deliverance. And so he ended in, in verse 4, just before the first refrain of the chorus in verse 5, with a discussion of the enemies. He begins the second section with the discussion of the enemies. He's bringing it back to uh, 
the reversal of praise. Look at verse 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. We see David's description of his enemies, and so their, their, their comfort or rejoicing has four parts to it, just like the previous section. A reversal to praise. In other words, I'm in desperate need because my enemies are pressing me, but guess what? There's a reason to praise God in the middle of it because God's going to get them. And actually, he refers to it a little bit in verse 4, but you look at verse 6. He says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. He's humiliated. He's exhausted. He's, my soul, I'm desperately in need. But now, get this. They dug a pit before me, and then the end. They themselves have fallen in the midst of it. They got coming, they got what they had planned for me, came upon them. God got them. He got them. And so David sees it. David was convinced that God delivers his children from and through their storms because of his love and faithfulness. And so he was confident that God's going to get them. When a sixth grader was bullying me and when I was in third grade, I was confident in my father's love and faithfulness to me that if this guy persisted, my dad would get him. You know, I just knew that it was going to happen. Now, it never did because, you know, the guy didn't keep bothering me. But my dad would get him. He says he does it. So there's this reversal of praise. He's, he's reversal to praise. He was sorrowful, but now he's, he's rejoicing. So you see the, the parallel, the end of verse 4 and that. He's like, the enemies have got me, and it's, it's a bad deal now. The enemies have got me, but God's going to get them. Then the second topic that was alluded to in the first section was the faithfulness of God to David in verses 2 and 3. And now he declares his faithfulness to God. God is faithful to me. I am faithful to God. This is where he's going with it in verses 7 through 9, our resolve to praise God. David is convinced of God's love and faithfulness towards him, verses 2 and 3. That prompts him to declare his love and faithfulness to God. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. That's verse 7. I'm, I'm not making this up. I don't. And my heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. Steadfast means certain, sure. Okay? So whereas, be gracious to me, be gracious to me, uh, he, was, he was saying, you know, uh, God is faithful to me. He was serious about his entire being in despair. Verse 1, now he's sure of his faithfulness to God. It's certain. He declares his faithfulness to God. My heart is steadfast and steadfast twice to emphasize his devotion to God. And devotion translates into action. His, his earlier appeal, remember he cried to God for mercy. Now in verses 9 and 10, he's crying for God to be magnified. He cried out for mercy. Now he cries for God to be magnified. The second stanza amplifies everything that he mentioned in the first stanza that leads us ultimately to this praise of God. His appeal, and notice his praise is, is personal in verse 7. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. 
It's passionate. Three times he says awake or awaken. Ah, awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. That's, uh, that's pretty bold. <laughs> hey, morning, wake up. He's exuberant, so he's passionate about this. And he's purposeful. Notice he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. Here's the uh, missional focus. I will, I will give thanks to you among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. This is the Hebrew goyim, which are the pagans. Okay, I'm going to proclaim you among these people, among the nations. I have no bones about declaring to you that my sister makes the absolute best homemade carrot cake with cream cheese frosting. I would say it anywhere and everywhere and say it loudly. I can be personal. I can be passionate. I can even be purposeful, making you envious of that. But it cannot always be profitable. You don't care whether it's for my carrot, sister's carrot cake. But this, his plea is, is profitable for the nations because he wants the people to know this same love and faithful God that he knows. So that he clings to God in the midst of his storm to bring glory to God so that others are drawn to God because he's convinced of God's love and faithfulness. I can only pray that I would follow his suit. And then we see the reason for praise, verse 10. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Second time he mentions God's love and faithfulness, right? He did it in verse 3, and that was the basis for his request, his confident request, because God is love and faithful. Now he mentions it in verse 10 because that's the basis for his rejoicing in God's deliverance. His love and faithfulness, because that's the character of God. That's who God is. David will be faithful because God is faithful. Is my heart steadfast? Is your heart steadfast? Unswerving in our devotion to God because of his love? And faithfulness. I got a buddy of mine, I mean, like he, he'll drive like, I don't know how many miles out of the way to go to a certain coffee shop, you know, to get a certain kind of coffee. He is absolutely devoted to that kind of coffee, and I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for it. But I don't drink coffee anyway, so I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for any place where you get coffee. But he's steadfast in his devotion to this particular brand of coffee. I'm not even going to mention it. David said, God is my refuge and my strength and my ever-present help in the time of need. Job said, Job chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's a steadfast heart. A heart that will cling to God because of His love and faithfulness even when it doesn't even make sense because we trust 
in who he is. Alexander McLaren's words are as true today as they were several decades ago when he wrote them. Fixed hearts are rare amongst the Christians of this day. Fixed hearts are rare amongst the Christians of this day. And David points us to the greatest demonstra demonstration of God's love and faith. He will send to me his love and faithfulness. He did it in the person of Jesus, ultimately. The one who died for our sins so that we could be freed from sin and death. We praise him for delivering us from that which causes us death because we all deserve to die. We're sinful, fallen people desperately looking someplace to find satisfaction for our soul. And God says, no, it's in me. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we deserve his punishment. and deserve his wrath. But he sent Jesus and he died on the cross so that we would believe, who would believe, would have life in him and then we would be new creatures in Christ and want to testify, as David did, to the nations of his love and faithfulness because we've experienced it in the person of Jesus. God's love and faithfulness in saving the fallen and sustaining the chosen Saving the fallen, sustaining the chosen, is reason to exalt him to the nations. Don't I want people to know? That's the neat thing about Christianity is if we really have a relationship with Christ and God has expressed and we've experienced his love and faithfulness in salvation and as we walk through life with him, we want other people to know this God that we serve. It's a difference between us and so many other religious systems that they just want, you're either on board or you're off. And if you're not on board, we squish you. That's not love. And then we see this recitation of praise. He concludes in verse 11 with this repeated refrain. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. I want God to be exalted by the way I trust Him. In the midst of the dark situations, in the midst of the in the face of opposition. That's David. I want God to be exalted in the way I trust Him. The story is told of two ants who were standing on the tee box of a major uh, of, a, of a golf course. And a guy came up, put his tee in the ground, ball on the tee, and he took a swing. Missed the ball, hit the turf, and the anthill was right next to where he had teed off. Uh, teed off. Dirt and ants flying everywhere, dying. You know, just it was a massive scene. Guy whiffed it, so he got up there, he dressed the ball again, whack! Missed the ball, hit the anthill, ants and dirt flying everywhere. Third time, same thing happened. One ant looked at the other one. He says, it seems to me that if we're going to get out of this alive, we better get on the ball. <laughs> seems to me that if we are going to make it in life, we should look to our Lord as the source of refuge. David says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory. You read this text, it's about God. This is not about David. He is pointing us to God. He's pointing us to God. He's pointing us to God. His love and faithfulness. He will save. He will send. He will deliver. He will send His love. He will send His faithfulness 
so that in the darkest of our circumstances and in the bleakest of hostility against us, we can rest that God is with us and He will rescue us in the time of storm. And there is no greater demonstration of His love and faithfulness than when He sent His Son. And so when we break this bread and we drink this cup, we remember His love. And folks, here's the thing. Somebody else said this, and I think it's profound. If we ever doubt His love and His faithfulness, we just need to look at the cross. We just need to look at the cross. Because there His love and His faithfulness, He poured out His life so that all who believe could live. And if we live because He did that for us, because we're trusting in Him, then we can rest that He knows what He's doing even when we don't. And we can come and celebrate this communion by taking the bread, which symbolizes His body, and the cup, which symbolizes His blood, and rejoice that He did this so that we could live and He could be and would be and is our refuge in storm, in the time of shelter, in the time of storm. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your mercy and Your grace poured out in Christ. And Lord, I just pray for each one here because I know that many are going through storms. Some in their personal lives with people that have hurt them and betrayed them. People that have said harmful and hurtful things to them. Sometimes it's believers who are the most hurtful to us as other believers. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's a life circumstance that we feel so overwhelmed by. And sometimes it's the hostility of a world that does not like our testimony for Jesus. Whatever we're in or whatever we come into, Lord, I pray that David's prayer might infuse us and might encourage us that we would learn to rejoice confidently in God's deliverance. I pray that we would learn to request confidently your deliverance. We pray in Jesus' name.